Well, this is going to be episode three of Out Here in the Middle. We are in Dell City, Texas, once again, in the uh, Chaffee Worldwide Studios. I, I don't know why I put Worldwide behind it, but it just makes it seem a little bit more fresh. Uh, we, we've got an interesting guest in with us today, and I'm really excited to jump into the political world a little bit and just kind of uh, pick a young, bright mind uh, that that's, believes in change. Uh, and, and in her opinion, she believes that she's bringing something to the table that can change people's lives. At the same time, we finally got Johnny on the podcast. Hi, Johnny. How's it going? Good. It's good to have you finally here. So Johnny is our director of sales and marketing for Chaffee. Uh, All the cool stuff that you get to see that's going on social media now is because of Johnny and his great team. We also have Richie and Danny doing all of the production and the outlaw himself, the cultured palate. (laughs) (laughs) Danny's in here with us. Hello, everybody. Hey. All right. So without further ado, all right. So without further ado, Miss Hatch. Is it Miss or Mrs.? Miss. Miss Hatch. Miss Hatch hails from El Paso, Texas, and she is running for uh, Senate, Texas Senate, uh, in District what? 29. District 29. It's an odd number, so for me, that makes that makes me feel good. I don't like even numbers for some reason. I'm one of those weird kind of people that see numbers and it, Brings a connotation one way or the other. Give us a little background. Why Why would, well, first of all, and you're never supposed to ask a lady her age. How old are you? 32. 32 years old. What makes a 32-year-old El Pasoan wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to run for office? So it definitely wasn't an overnight decision. It was, uh, I had been approached by a lot of people to consider running for office and I thought, well, maybe one day because I was I was getting tired of, the, I think the the career politicians that we continue to put in office, and so I thought, okay, well, maybe one day uh, I have a small business and I I wanted to grow it a little bit more before really considering it. Small business. Let's let's jump into small business before you get into before you get into that. Did you grow up in El Paso? I did. Okay. So what part of town did you grow up in El Paso? The West Side. The West Side. West Side. Um, so one of the big things uh, is that's kind of until I moved to Del City is the only part of El Paso that I really knew existed. I just knew that there were adult film stores and junkyards on the East Side. That's the only thing I knew about El Paso. So the West Side, what high school did you go to? Coronado. Oh, I played golf there one time. It was absolutely horrible. I shanked a ball and knocked it through the window of a house, and that was a $2,400 window, and I was in high school. It was not, not a good oh, no. no, yeah, it was not good. Since then, my golf career has pretty, pretty much been uh, anchored. So, so you're growing up on the West Side, go to school at Coronado. Uh, I heard that you're a tech grad. Yes. So you went to Lubbock. Okay. Tell us, tell us about family life. Tell us growing up on the West side of El Paso. So, uh, growing up, my family were, I was a third generation El Pasoan. My grandpa, uh, built his business in El Paso and, um, and then my family, my mom stayed, uh, we have ties to the community through that and a lot of involvement through, uh, the, the jobs that my grandpa was able to provide in the, or offer in the, in the city and uh, ultimately nationwide. Um, what jobs were those? Uh, he owned Petro truck stops. Okay. Or he started it. So, and then a couple other, uh, businesses, but that was the main one. I've had a lot of those Petro hot dogs. Pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Really? It's not a bad, not a bad spot to get a hot dog (laughs) or Costco. I like Costco hot dogs too, but you'll notice too a little bit. 
that that I, my my brain is like a rubber ball stuck in a concrete box where it just it's going to jump around a little bit. So don't let that get you out off your guard. No, I don't mind. Just so, remind me of the question whenever you ask me again. Okay, so I'll, I can bring that back around. I can do that. So so you, you you're growing up on the west side. Your your grandfather has built a good business. Um, so he's provided jobs for people in the community. What what got you involved in actual El Paso community growing up? What 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 kind of things did you do? Growing up, I I played tennis. I was on the high school tennis team for a few years. I have to say, I mean, typical teenager, I was excited to go away to college. So um, aside from just the normal teenager activities, I wasn't super, uh, super involved within the community um, until, you know, coming back and then opening my, my business or I purchased an existing business, but running my business. And I really became a lot more connected to the community through that. Okay. So let's talk about small business. Sure. What do you do? I own a pet care facility, a pet care facility. Walk us through a pet care facility. I'm sorry. Walk us through what a pet care facility is. So we do dog and cat boarding, daycare, training, and grooming. Uh, it's called the pet barracks. It's in Northeast El Paso. We have about 17 employees right now, and we just take care of people's pets, either when they're at work or when they travel. Uh, we have a huge military uh, client base, so we do a lot of deployment dogs, a lot of long-term uh, stay pets when when they're out in the field or deployed. So that takes a lot of patience. Looking at Johnny right now, Johnny's in sales with people that care passionately about animals. And when we say passionately, I mean, these are, these are children. And so obviously you've got to have one, you've got to have some compassion because you like dogs and cats. Do you like dogs or cats more? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm actually allergic to cats. Good business choice. Yes. Yes. That was, that was solid. (laughs) But you know, I take his ear tech. (laughs) You charge more for cats? No, we actually charge less. They don't have souls. It's okay. (laughs) So, so Johnny, you, you have to deal with all these people, yeah. um, your patience level, well, you got to deal with me too. And Danny. So, I mean, you guys are easy. okay. <laughs> so as you're, as you're, as you're dealing with clientele, of course, you've got to deal with different instances and, and, and things like that. So I, I would say that would start to, uh, start to make sense of why you're, you're wanting to get uh, into the political field, because if you can put up with the braidment from animal lovers, you could probably put up with the braidment of a large population of people. That being said, you go to school at Texas Tech, you got a degree in advertising, advertising. Interesting. I'm I'm trying to put the puzzle together, but well, I originally majored in political science and then I switched my major to political science and PR and then I double majored. Um, I, and then I took a, through the PR, I took an advertising class and I realized I loved uh, the advertising aspect and understanding why people, uh, you know, how you want to market something to a certain group of people and uh, to bring in those customers. And so I ended up ultimately in advertising. Advertising. That's awesome. I like that. Danny, you've dealt with a ton of advertisers. Yeah. <laughs> tell me about, tell me. A few too many, I think. <laughs> so, so somebody that comes out of school, uh, were you looking to go into advertising? Is that what you wanted to do? I wanted to do graphic through advertising. I decided graphic design was 
what I liked the best about it. So I actually, I went into the graphic part of it. I designed a movie poster that was presented to George Lucas. So that was pretty cool. That's very and, cool. Um, That's way cool. And I kind of wanted- Was it Star Wars? No, oh. no, it's a movie. It didn't get made, um, but I wanted to kind of be because you know you see the movie poster and it's everywhere, and so I kind of liked the idea of having something that everybody knew without necessarily them knowing it was me. I gotcha. I liked that idea. I gotcha. And we just wanted to take a couple quick seconds to thank some of our sponsors. One of our sponsors and a sponsor of mine for a long time has been Walls Walls Outdoor Wear. Absolutely amazing product. I personally love their ditch digger pants. I know it's starting to get a little bit warm, but at the same time, those pants breathe amazingly well. They're super comfortable and they fit you, especially if you have a dad bod like me. If you want any more information about Walls Outdoor Wear, you can go to walls.com. Tell them Jay sent you. This podcast is sponsored by Chaffee, world-class alfalfa. Chaffee is grown in the shadows of the Guadalupe Mountains, the highest peak in the state of Texas. Our unique climate offers cool nights, warm days, and allows us to grow some of the finest forage on the face of the planet. For more information about Chaffee, please visit www.chaffee.com. So, so advertising, and, and you too, I mean, feel free to jump in and ask a question or two, but, but you finish school, you get back to El Paso. Did you go back straight back to El Paso? I lived in California for a year and a half. Okay. Mm. Did you, did you take a good, good shower when you moved back? <laughs> I, I, my bank account was very grateful. I can, I have to say, because gas, <laughs> I paid $4 and 82 cents a gallon for gas one day. And I thought I got to get myself back to Texas. That's right. The land of freedom and opportunity, mm-hmm. America. Um, so you're, so you're back. Did you, did you plug yourself into the, to the pet care business right away? Yes. So when I was out in LA, I discovered the world of pet boarding and I love my, I love my two dogs. And I thought this is a really great business. And I had come back to El Paso and I thought this would be a great business, something that I could offer to the community. And so coming back, I, um, I actually purchased a business within a week of being back. That's pretty awesome. So this is pretty tough, but I'm going to ask both Danny and Johnny. She has two dogs. What kind of dogs does she have? Oh, good question. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> First, I'm going to say um, yellow lab and a black lab. Okay, Johnny. I'm seeing white and fluffy. White and fluffy. So like a Pomeranian? Uh, ish. Ish. Pomeranian. Okay. And what else? And a Cocker Spaniel. Ooh, Cocker Spaniel. That was You pulled that one out of thin air, didn't you? <laughs> MJ was trying to identify a weed today and he just called it Buffalo Thorn. And we're like, oh, is that a technical name? So like we're researching Buffalo Thorn. I'm like, I can't find anything on that. And he's like, I, I just made that up. It just reminds me of buffaloes. I'm like, oh, interesting. So I'm going to go with a yellow, uh, excuse me, I'm going to go with a black lab and I'm going to go with a Weimaraner. What do you got? So before I answer, can y'all tell me, like, I mean, this is like a personality test. You know, I want to know the the categories that each of these fit. Maybe y'all can tell me later what category, you know. Um, if Johnny's right, then you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So I actually have a small little uh, Russian Spetsnaya Balanka. Bless you. What did you say? Yes. If you do, a, you better clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a their distant cousin, apparently, to the Bichon Friesen. Oh, oh, so very yes. close. Yes, Fluffy. you're the closest. Johnny. And the other one is a Morky Maltese uh, Yorkie mix. A Maltese Did you say Maltese Corgi mix? Maltese Yorkie. Morky. Oh, I've got a lot of similarities with the Corgi. I got really short legs and a big old long torso. So <laughs> I understand that. I was way off. Danny, where were you at? I mean, that was. He was so, hunting. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. just going for Labradors. I, was <laughs> I, I got to see one of Danny's dogs the other day, and I did not see that one coming out of left field. That That's not my dog. Oh, what is that dog? The uh, one that looks like a Roomba. That, that's our daughter's dog. <laughs> okay. She's on, uh, she's on quarantine. Oh, quarantine dogs. Yeah. Do you have any quarantine dogs? No. No, no quarantine dogs. Okay, so we totally got circumvented there with trying to figure out what kind of dog you had. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's just good to kind of paint a picture for people to understand, you Absolutely. know, what kind of dog. So are you the kind of person that takes your dog into all kinds of places? Do you have, do you do the, the service dog? No. Okay. Not saying that if you actually need a service dog, that it's a bad thing. But. I've flown on enough planes with people that did not need a service dog to understand that you don't need to take a German shepherd on the plane, but whatever, we'll get, we'll get there in another, another day. So you've got the business developed and you're rock and roll. How long have you been in business? Uh, I've owned it over five and a half years, five and a half years. So you've already hit the tick of, Hey, we're here. We're solid. We're making it. Then COVID hits. And now you're getting to experience a totally different chapter in business ownership. And how has that process been? It's been a very difficult process. We went last year, we had our best year ever. It was really exciting. We uh, were purchasing land. We had purchased land on the West side to open our next location and really looking at giving a lot bigger raises to our, to our staff. And it, it was just a very exciting time to come off of that year. And then we were making all these plans and then like you said, COVID hit and it actually hit right at spring break, which is one of our biggest times of the year. And so we, we went from full occupancy and which is, we had over probably a hundred reservations down to the low twenties and that all happened very quickly. And uh, we tried to stay open for a few weeks because we are, we were considered essential, which is another topic all in itself. Um, but we ultimately closed on April 1st because we just didn't have the business coming in. And uh, so we, we closed for about a month and we were pay paying the team. And then I guess I was a little naive thinking, you know, that we would be able to open a little bit sooner, that things would get better. And so that's what we were kind of banking on. And then it turns out, you know, things were staying closed longer and longer. And so we had, and we didn't qualify for the PPP the first round, but so we had, we were looking at the options of either getting back to work, trying to generate some revenue or ultimately looking at closing our doors. So what, what takes you, at what point of your life did you wake up and say, you know what, I want to get into the mudslinging business of politics. See, I don't want to sling mud. I uh, want to get in, but no, I, I know like what you're that. saying. Yeah. But I mean, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a dirty field to get into. It is. It is. Pun but, intended. Um, I, I, I'm tired of the representation that we haven't had because we don't have true representation in this area. And I am tired of, you know, I see from a business standpoint, 
the the stifling regulations that they that they put on us and to 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 want so badly to see the economic growth happen in this district that other places in Texas are having because Texas has an amazing economy overall but I think district 29 all the way from El Paso out to Culberson, Hudspeth, Jeff Davis and Presidio we are missing out on a lot of opportunity that the rest of Texas is getting and I want to be able to have that representation in office that will fight for this district and that will bring opportunity because it's a beautiful district with beautiful people. And I want uh, I want the people in this district to be able to experience that opportunity. It's interesting too, because a lot of time, whenever you get out in Texas and you start talking about, you know, the very far West of Texas, I mean, we're extreme West Texas. People are like, eh, take it or leave it. You know, it's, it's not something that, you know, Texas really holds near and dear to their heart. Which to to somebody that's a new Texan, new Texican like myself, you know, I'm like, I want my part of the state to be something that's awesome. And I hold my head, you know, high and proud of uh, that. It's something that we're building something in, in the El Paso and Hutspeth and Culberson and all of these counties around us that we can actually build something. I mean, you got Blue Origin down the road. That's super cool. But you never hear anything about stuff like that. So wh- wh- when did this start? When did you say, you know what, I'm going to do this? It was in November. Um, I I told some people probably back in February, March that, okay, I would want to run one day because a lot of people asked me, I've been asked a lot and I thought, okay, well, I will do it. I'll do it one day, maybe 2024. Um, But it was in November that I made the decision that now is the time that we need somebody who is willing to get in there and actually fight for our district. So talk about the demographic of, of, District 29. Oh, it's very, uh, very unique demographic. You have a place like El Paso that is uh, more of a, of a city versus rural, rural, you know, when we have um, about 80% Hispanic uh, population, and then you go out into the rural community, which uh, I haven't spent much time out in, but I, I did spend some time in Sierra Blanca getting to, getting to hear, um, getting to know the people there. And it's just, it's night and day, the, you know, the, the demographics and the people, and it's a really interesting mix. And I think that that's something that is, I would love to see the representative from here, uh, ref, you know, to, to understand that and then to be able to uh, voice that in Austin. Um, because it's, it's, you can't really explain this district in one word. And that's gotta be, that's gotta be challenging in and of itself. And the fact that you know, people like us really want our voice to be heard in Austin. At the same time, you know, you've got, what's it, how many people are in El Paso? 800,000? In El Paso County is about 850,000. El Paso City is uh, about 600. That's a lot of people, you know, so for us out here to have our voice heard, the fact that you're here, uh, I mean, honestly, is awesome. And the fact that you were willing to come out and, and sit down and the, the fact that we just kind of were like, hey, we're going to throw you onto a podcast uh, and, and pick on you a little bit. We're, we're really thankful for that. As your campaign is going, this is, uh, you know, a completely unprecedented campaign in the fact that you're having to essentially campaign, but you can't get people together. Um, and it seems El Paso has really shut itself off from the rest of Texas when it goes to everybody else's kind of opening up and going, Danny, you feel that with the restaurants. Yep. I mean, what what can you do now to help get yourself better prepared for this race. I mean, you're in the race, of course, but at the, at the same time, as you're trying to get out and knock on doors and meet people, h- how are you doing that? Well, we're not knocking on doors and that has been hard. 
Um, but you know, just being involved in social media, trying to get uh, trying to get the name out there as much as possible, trying to connect with people, and asking for that feedback. I think that that's something that that this district has not really experienced somebody who wants to hear the feedback. And so it's been a little tough, you know, putting that question out there. What are your concerns? What are your thoughts? And I, I think that people are hesitant because they don't, they maybe have in the past tried to reach out and they don't feel heard. They don't feel like it's important what they think. And that has been kind of tough because I really do want to know what people's concerns are. And when I was in Sierra Blanca a couple months ago, the way I say it, I'm, I'm from El Paso, but I will be representing this county and I don't know what your problems are. I can't come here and I can't tell you what you need to fix or what needs to be fixed, what needs to be addressed. The best way for me to know is for you to tell me so that I can take those concerns so that I could take uh, those problems that y'all are having and I could take them to Austin and find a solution. So it, the whole premise of my campaign is to be able to hear people and to be able to represent them. And it has been tough during COVID uh, there, but, you know, with social media, we've had, we've had a little bit of success, but I think um, people are, again, people are just hesitant to really voice their concerns because they don't feel heard. So my grandfather was Lieutenant Governor. He was, uh, he, he was, let's see here. He was a Senator for two ter three terms and he was a representative for two terms. And then he was Lieutenant Governor of New Mexico. And uh, staunch Democrat. And that was in the day where my political views kind of aligned more with the Democratic Party. Uh, at the same time, I remember asking him questions and just saying, what, what's it like to be in the political realm? What's it like to have people that truly love you and truly hate you? Uh, I, I feel a little bit of that on social media from time to time. But at the same time, how are you listening to people? And how are you keeping uh, what your core beliefs and, and, and truths are to you, but how do you fully represent somebody that does not agree with what you put on your, on your card? How do you represent that person? And I think that that's a very real thing, you know, that each person as a candidate or in office needs to realize that, you know, we have our strong beliefs and, um, but we are, we are voted as a representative. There are um, things I think that all people can agree on regardless of political party. And I think that those are kind of the, the, the things that have been pushed aside for the, um, the, the, the fights that might not represent all people. And that's what people are more, more focused on. And it's the, div, uh, divisiveness. And I think that by addressing the problems that we all have, uh, we, I can kind of start to bridge that gap and then being able to have that conversation that, you know, um, we're not always going to agree on hundred percent on everything. And I don't agree with hundred percent with anybody. Nobody agrees with me hundred percent of the time. And I know that, uh, as a representative, the people I represent, they might not agree with me on my core beliefs and I might not agree with them, but I have a response. I would have a responsibility to listen to the people, to take their concerns. And especially when it's a majority of a population, um, to take that and, and use their voice when I am considering legislation, when I am considering my votes, whether I want to sponsor or co-sponsor a bill. Um, but of course there are certain things that personally, I wouldn't be able to, um, you know, you, um, like abortion, you know, that's, a, that's a big one. And I think that that's kind of a, a question that 
I couldn't walk into Austin and well, say. Well, you just ripped the Band-Aid off. Let's get in this I thing. Did, Come on. I did. And I, because I can't I'm think of another more controversial topic that, um, that I want to represent the people. And that's that I want to represent the problems that we, like I was saying, that we all face. Um, and then I'm going to have those other ones that, that I think are a little bit um, more contentious that, that would be a hard hard one to kind of bridge the gap with some people. So I think a lot of people don't understand that when you're in a political office, when people are voting for somebody, you look at some hot topics. We look at immigration. We look at abortion. We look at uh, freedom of speech. You know, we, we go back to constitutional rights. We talk about all these big items. But when you look at the world of regulation where we sit today, a lot of that is just small votes and small bills that have been passed along that build a bigger picture. And I think that we have as America, and here I go in my own opinion, we as Americans have allowed people to represent us on whatever they believe instead of us doing our job of actually seeing. Johnny, have you ever reached out to a senator or a representative? I've had them reach out to me through social media and stuff, just from things that I had posted that kind of take on a life of their own. Okay. And so they've reached out to me. Danny, have you ever reached out? I mean, you, you, you've got family that's been in the political world, but have you ever called a senator and said, listen, I know that this vote is going through and I, I say no, or I say, yes, please support this. I have, I I've, I've done it on a couple of occasions. So the, the vast, I would love to know what the vast majority of Americans have actually done that because what we end up doing, and now that we've got this horrible, amazing thing of social media, the easiest thing for us to do is to reach out and to lash out to somebody with no effect back to us. You hide behind your social media or you hide behind something and say, this is something that I believe in and blah, 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 blah. But what does that actually do for change? And and so for you to be able to put yourself into a position that you're going to try to represent somebody that might want to just rather lash out on social media, how do you how do you listen? How do you truly understand what it takes to engage somebody and listen to their point of view and say, you know what, maybe I was wrong? Before you answer that, we'll go back. Pro-life, pro-choice. Pro-life. Okay. Continue. So I think that there's a lot of emotion in politics. There's a lot of emotion. Um, not, I don't believe that emotion should necessarily play a huge part in politics, uh, I think. But there's a lot of emotion behind decisions that, that our representatives make. And that's where I think a lot of the lashing out comes from on social media. And sometimes it can be really nasty. You see some really mean comments. Uh, you can see comments that are heartbreaking of people who just need a voice, who need to be heard. And uh, I mean, there, there's everything in between. I think the most important part is to realize that we all have different life experiences and to kind of take a step back, not take it personally, uh, but realize that the people who are who are being vocal on social media, that they are craving something. And more than likely, it's a voice. It's the ability to be heard. So whether or not you agree with them, you know, if if somebody attacked me on a position I took and um it would be irresponsible of me to just completely disregard that person because they don't agree with me. As a representative, I should be looking at what they're saying, um, kind of putting it into context with what I believe, and then seeing where we have similarities and where the, the political system, if you will, has done them a disservice thus far um, to where they get to the point where they feel so fed up that they have to, that they feel like that's their only options to lash out. Um, because again, I think a lot of problems, a lot of problems could be solved 
right conversation and civil civil debate um, versus just ignoring somebody because they don't agree with you. I think one of the biggest things too is we've lost our ability to effectively share an opinion and 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 be told that we're wrong. I think that that started when people started saying, don't talk about religion and don't talk about politics. Yeah. So separate the separation of, of, of church and politics. That, that is interesting. And that's a, a whole nother wormhole that I think we can get into. The reason that I wanted to have you on here today is because it's not often that you see somebody like you. So I'm going to paint the picture. So you're, you're young, you're female, you're white, you're, you know, you're Republican and you're running in a demographic that is voted predominantly democratic um and and the latino vote has carried district 29 for for a long time and so for somebody like you to go in and try to stake stake a hold in in changing the future um is a big undertaking to say the least and for you not to back down from that fight is admirable um at the same time what what is the biggest challenge that you've faced thus far and actually from November to today, what has been the hardest struggle that you've had in running a race as a, as a young single female in district 29? COVID. Honestly, I mean, I wish that, well, that I, was an easy answer. You I, can't use COVID as that, I but g- give me, give me something else. Give me, give me, give me, I mean, cause COVID is that's yeah. easy. I mean, I, I, we were really just barely getting into the, the thick of it because I didn't have a primary opponent. So it was, not um a lot of the primary events were for people who had were primary um so that people could get to know those candidates and i had you know i had my kickoff and i started to get to know people i started to get out there and it is a comment i get you know that i'm not um that i'm not hispanic uh that i am young but um i hadn't really gotten to experience that in full force i think and before covid hit and then it's kind of shut down the campaign. And, um, so I, I, I can't tell you what, I don't know. So it's, it's interesting too, because I, I bring up who you are, you know, I paint the picture of who you are sitting here today. And I feel that so many people, especially us millennials, we, we want equality more than anything. We want, we want women to be heard. We want, Uh, different ethnicities to actually have a seat at the table. We want to see this change. But when you look at the way people vote, they look at a picture, you know, and they look at a party line and breaking that party line is something that hardly anybody has been able to accomplish. I mean, who, who's been good at breaking a party line in our lifetime? Yeah. In our lifetime. I mean, your lifetime has been a lot longer than mine, Danny, but like 20 (laughs) days. Come on. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Um, uh, that's a good question. Thinking back to Reagan. Um, well, there was some huge controversy with Reagan, though. I mean, I mean, that was a huge dividing. Yeah, but they, I, I, you know, they managed to do some things. I think, especially lately, it's been, you know, a standstill. You get you get the houses divided and it's like, OK, we're just not going to do anything. And the parties are a little too happy to just say, OK, yeah, we'll just wait this out. Well, it's one of those things, too, that the parties just love to feel a fire on one side or the other, because when you see like, we were talking about some of the videos that I've put up that have gone viral. And if if I get seven million views on a on a video, it's because I am fired up about a cause and you are not going to get me off of that that rail. 
And so you've got this huge, you know, base that kind of rallies in agriculture. We're all hanging on to a ledge essentially right now. And so if somebody comes out there with some firepower and hits somebody with, this is the cold, hard truth of what's happening. And this is how it can be impacted by doing this, this, and this, you get this base rally. But in politics, especially in your demographic, you don't have a base to rally. Or do you? My base is the American people. This Boom. Is, you know, I, I believe in uh, I believe in principles over party and I believe in uh, people over politics every single time. See, that that's refreshing. And, and and again, I'm not voting for you. But I might vote for you. But you don't know if I'm going to vote for you. The, one of the biggest things that we we look at is. When is somebody actually going to say, I don't really care if you're a Democrat. You know, some of my best friends, we do not get along when it comes to politics. We have a couple of beers and we start talking about whatever's happening in Washington, D.C. Like, Jade, let's just, this is a wormhole, man. Just please don't go down it. And I'm like, what? The problem is, is we're not willing to do it anymore. We're not willing to have those hard conversations anymore about what's happening. It, absolutely. And I think that it's because no one wants to be told that they're wrong. And I will be the first to admit that I am not always right. And it's so important to be able to have those conversations, to be able to have those debates, because if you only look at life from one side, then you're never going to find the answers to anything. Um, whatever is broken will just keep breaking. And um, it, it's going to take working together from both sides because there, there is truth on, there's truth on both sides. There are solutions from both sides. I just think that so much emotion has gotten pushed into it and so much of the identity politics has, has been played that people almost feel like there's there's some bigger battle. But really, the battle is strictly about the American people and uh, not about whether one party is right or the other. What do you think? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the two of you this before before you get to answer. What do you think the hardest part of running a campaign would be, Johnny? I would say the hardest part of running a campaign is going to be understanding your demographic and the people that you represent in your area because they're so different, you know. Mm-hmm. Danny, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it with a statement because I don't feel like this is up for debate. I think the hardest thing for anybody running for office in our current environment is you're fighting the parties. You have to, it just seems like everybody that's out there, how, regardless of how they start, the best intentions, the best uh, ideas, once they get gobbled up by the machine, once they, they actually win, that's probably the hardest thing is winning and then getting there and realizing these people are not doing what I thought they were doing. They, don't, they have no intention of, of kind of, you know, making any headway, it becomes, it becomes inner battles within the party. And you see it on both sides. I mean, you see it all the time where, uh, you know, you've got the, what it, what it, uh, Pelosi called the, the four, uh, uh, Casio-Cortez and, you know, the, the new, the new members, the squad, the squad. So, you know, it just starts with stuff like that, where people have to, you almost have to get there and then realize, okay, how, how, what are the rules? Because the rules, I don't think anybody realizes until they get there. And I think that's one of the biggest problems in our country is whether it's city politics all the way up to, you know, getting into Washington. And it, 
it really becomes a frustrating thing to watch from the outside because they kind of forget about what they what got them there and they start trying to figure out okay how do i just how do i get how do i become part of this this machine in order to stay in order to one day hopefully make a difference but i just need to stay and i i think that that's uh that's got to be one of the toughest things that you know hopefully you have to deal with that you know and and figure it out but it'd be really nice to see somebody get there and stick to their guns and and make a difference. And, and I, I see that. I see that on, look at, look at AOC. I mean, she, that, that woman, she sticks to what she wants. I mean, yeah, she might change and bounce around, but she's big, she's been able to figure out what works for her and she stick to it. You want my answer to that question that I asked you to, and you get to answer last it's cash because without cash, you are not able to reach the demographic that you need. Politics has started with it and politics will end with it. And it starts with cash. If you look at somebody that might be really great for an area, that person's ability to get into an office is going to be how many, how much ammunition did they have for the rifle to get through that race? And I think that people don't ever put that into perspective. Now we look at Donald Trump and we look at the amount of, you know, Bloomberg actually, I was sitting there looking at Mike Bloomberg and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's already spent $500 million on his own race. And he's actually got a shot at getting into the presidency for a while until he picked on us, the farmers, and we brought him down. But no, I'm just kidding. The biggest thing in 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 politics is still cash. I've got to say something. Excuse me. I'm going to change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I like your answer. Well, I, I, and I thought, and I, and, and I agree with both of yeah. yours. I think I, I, I want to add something to it because it's it's something that Jay just said. Because my as Jay's talking, I'm thinking to myself, the cash thing has gotten a little easier, I think, because of social media. You can really reach a lot of people without having to spend a whole lot of cash. But the next step, I think, is another one of these tremendously difficult things, and it's the media. Because it just seems like the media makes a decision. And to overcome what they're out there saying, you know, they... They decide whoever, however, and whoever they decide on that becomes, you know, that just becomes, oh, well, I guess this guy's or this, this woman is going to, to win because that's all I hear on the media. And that's always based on a popularity contest within the media. I think they just, they make decisions and they get everybody else thinking, well, look how many people are on a ballot that you don't know that they even were going to be on the ballot, even on the Republican side. I didn't even know that Trump had a challenger. Or five. I, I didn't had no idea. Right. So so you've taken <laughs> this little pot that we just threw out here. What's the hardest thing about running a campaign? I think that all of those are spot on. Honestly, when as soon as you said the the question, my immediate thought was money because it is very hard to go up against somebody who has uh, name recognition, who has uh, money in the bank, and um, and you know, you're, you really are challenging the political establishment or that's in my race. That is what I'm doing. I'm challenging the establishment. It's not necessarily one person. Uh, it's, it's decades of, of just career politicians being sent into office and they're just bidding, biding their time until they get to move up in the, in, in the, the ski and the ladder. And I think that that's something that, you know, what you were saying, Danny, about the being in office uh, that's something that I really looked at before deciding to enter this race. And I told my family, I said, look, I have my set of beliefs. I am very, uh, I'm very driven by faith. And I said, what's your faith? 
Christian. So um, I said, being, because, you know, politics is a dirty business. And I said, but going into office, my goal is to represent the people. And if at any point, and I told them, if I, I said, if at any point you think that I am changing, you think that I am, then please just pull me back down to earth because I've got my, 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 uh, uh, my salvation on the line, right? You know, yeah, I don't want to sell myself, sell my soul to the devil. And I feel like that's what a lot of people do because they want to move up. They, they enter politics and then they keep going on this ladder because they just want more and more, uh, name recognition, more power. Um, but, and I put quotes around that here. Y'all can't see that, but, um, air quotes, air enter. quotes, because power, the power that they have is really supposed to be from, from the people. Um, so their perception of power from the office is perceived and it's also given to, to them by us for, by not standing up. But, um, that's a whole nother thing. So I believe that, um, that just believe that remembering those things and remembering that ultimately it's a great responsibility and one that, that is taken um, way too, way too lightly by, I think, elected uh, career politicians, um, but to represent the people and actually address their needs. Danny's over here, Scorman. Yeah, no, I've got, come on, I, I, well, Go, just, come on yeah, with it. Yeah, also mentioned your, your, um, your core beliefs. And I, you know, I think that's important. And I grew up in El Paso. I've been in El Paso pretty much my whole life. And I've always wondered about something. And I wonder if you've thought about it and can shed any light on, kind of what your thoughts are, but you've mentioned that you're pro-life. You've mentioned that you're a Christian. Uh, obviously family is important to you. And you look at the demographic in El Paso and those three core beliefs are really strong in the Hispanic community. I mean, most of the community is Christian, uh, pro-life and family is, is, is really important. Why do you think El Paso and the surrounding communities don't make the connection with the Republican Party when the Republican Party usually is the party standing up for those three core beliefs? Um, but it just doesn't seem to jive on on voting day. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I think that there's a great misconception that the Republican Party is the party of the old white man. And I think that we've done a huge disservice to the people in this area by um, ignoring the Hispanic population and maybe not intentionally, but maybe looking at it like um, at the community, like a lost cause. Well, they've been voting Democrat, so let me just try and rally my base and maybe that'll get me across the finish line. And um, at the same time, I think that, that the left takes that vote for granted. Uh, they don't really hear their concerns because you're right. Their values do line up a lot more with the conservative side. Um, but I don't feel like anyone is fighting for them. And th and that's just from me looking at it. And and I do believe that um, that they're that they're ignored by the right and taken for granted by the left. And um, I think that that's why we see what what we what we have right now. So I have a couple questions I want to run by you. I worked in the El Paso area with families for 15 years before I came here. And I did a lot of one-on-one, face-to-face, -on -one, in-home visits with those families. So tell me what it is that you think that you can connect, understand, and represent these families um, who are usually first-generation American citizens, right? Um, starving, in a lot of cases, the poorest school districts in America 
are in El Paso, Texas. Mm -hmm. And so poverty is very, very high. And so how, how do you feel like you personally could relate and represent that demographic? So I don't necessarily look at it as, um, as the need to, um, because there, there's going to be times I don't relate to somebody through our life experiences, but the most important thing is to be able to hear them, to be able to, uh, to, to have a degree of empathy and to really sit there and listen to them, listen to what their concerns are, and to realize that just because we might not have had the same life experiences doesn't mean that we don't want the same things, that we don't want that opportunity uh, to come to, to the district. And I think that um, that being able to, I, I'm not going to ever pretend and say, you know, I have had the same life experiences. I mean, we talked about where I went to school. I went right. to Coronado. It's not the same as, right. as other Sadly. places. It, exactly. Um, so no, I don't have those experiences, but I have the desire to hear them and I have the desire to, um, to understand as much as I can what their struggles are. And then I have the drive to take that to Austin and to help fix it. So what do you think your greatest challenges are in El Paso, Texas to help a family change the direction of the trajectory of their lives? I think, I think, and, and to jump on Johnny's, I think we talked about it before we came here. I, I'm curious to see what your answer is going to be to this. So, um, I'll come back around to that, but at the same time, are you talking about that? Yeah, I, I'm getting to, I got my little notepad over here and I'm like, okay, she said this earlier. So I'm going to see if you're in the same. Now I'm all nervous. I'm like, so that's what, what I'm here for. I'm here to make you nervous. No, no, I think, um, I think that just being able, uh, to connect with those people, being able to actually to 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 listen to them and to do it in a way that they know that that it it means something, that it's not just pandering, it's not just um, okay. I want I want your vote vote. So what can I tell you now so that you'll vote for me and then I'm gonna be you know um, it, it's gonna be bridging that gap and really talking to them, really letting them know that that somebody is here that wants to hear them, that wants to, to represent them and, um, and know that it's, it's not about a party. It's not about um, anything other than bringing that opportunity to the district. And I think that, um, that I have seen some of that happening already. You know, I, I've been able to, to reach some people through, through the past couple of weeks. I've been very vocal about, about some certain mandates and through that, I have, I, I kind of started a friendship with this lady who, um, is a Democrat and she is terrified about where, where we're heading with our liberties. And we have been able to talk and she was crying about the fact that no one will listen to her. And somebody, um, a, our, our Congresswoman's office actually gave her a very short answer and then hung up on her and she's terrified. And she has a young daughter heading to UT soon. And, uh, she's, she's sad that, that, um, that this is happening and she wants the, you know, she wants the, the success for her daughter. She wants uh, security and knowing that the personal liberties aren't going to continue to be trampled on. And having that conversation with somebody who uh, may identify as a, a Democrat is, it's, it was a huge opportunity for me to be able to, to listen to somebody from the other side and to, um, to really take their needs. And, and it just validates the fact that I, I believe that we all do want the same basic things um, if we just remove the identity politics from it. So who's the Congresswoman? Escobar. So how do you feel like you could make a, a huge impact other than just the big 
box topics, abortion, civil liberties, those kind of things, because El Paso is a hurting area. Well, well that's, a lot of time that, there. that's the thing that we have to look at, though. I mean, and, and now I think the rest of America is still starting to see kind of the day-to-day struggle of what a, a population like El Paso is or, or District 29 is in the fact that jobs drive, right. industry drives, manufacturing. And we have gotten to our our points in life. And, and, and I grew up in Southern Doniana County, New Mexico. And there is a large basis there that really has to have a, a large dependence. And, and they have to have a dependence on their state government and they have to have a dependence on their federal government. And so we see that and it's not it's not talking down about it. It's just the way that it's been built. How do you pull somebody's that's living, you know, paycheck to paycheck from the government? How do you pull their head up and say, listen, you are better. We can get you something better. We can get this community back into something that's on fire. I think that's the core to what we have to to do. And so we talked about this in the office a little bit earlier. How do you pull that back? How do you bring somebody from San Eli that's saying, you know what? I, my, my mom works two jobs. Right. I don't have a dad or, or my dad works, you know, he's a truck driver and he's never home. All of these things. How do we finally get to a point where we feel the pride in being an American? How does that happen? Well, I think that, and like I was saying earlier, education, I, I really believe that education is empowerment and being able to educate the residents of District 29 on the truth of government dependence about what um, the very real fear that that money will run out one day. Uh, how how are we going to be able to pay it back? So, uh, you know, ex- just explaining because you know, politicians throw out a bunch of words, inflation or this and that. And it's just a bunch of big words. But instead of um, putting out fancy statements and and making it sound, I guess, more intelligent so that they can I, just breaking it down and really explaining to the people, because, again, education is empowerment. And I feel like if we can actually educate people and they know that, you know, just like with um with the farms and ranches, supply chain economics. Not a lot of people understand supply chain economics. I'm certainly not an expert at it, um, but just knowing that there are that there are threats that we're facing um, financially, economically, and being able to explain those in a way that everyone will be able to understand, I think, is the first step. Yeah, I think that's a very solid answer. Uh, so we've got we've got a couple minutes to wrap up, and first of all, thank you. For coming out here and and to shining shining a little bit of light on on you know the difficulties of what you have going forward, um, and of course I want to wish you the very best of luck, um, and and I know that there are some dark days in the campaign to come, but you know if you hang on to your core beliefs that you can get through those things, and and you seem to be very confident in in who you are as a person, I think that's a huge step in that in the right direction. What is your biggest fear in life? Gosh, this fear in life. Not that I'm going to ask a super heavy question. I guess my biggest fear in life would not be accomplishing what I meant to accomplish. I guess just becoming lackadaisical or thinking, okay, things are okay. Um, when, you know, if I, but, but if I, it would be to get to be 60, 70, 80 years old and look back and say, well, I could have done something better. I could have, you know, I had, I felt this drive 
for example, to enter this race and I didn't. Um, because I'll never, I'm not going to know unless I try, right? So I think that it would just be um, not accomplishing or at least not trying to accomplish with all that I have uh, what I'm meant to do. Solid answer. Last question that I've got, and you guys can open up one or two if you have one. How in the world did you get to Dell City, Texas? Yes, I know we're in District 29. We appreciate you being here, but what brought you out here? Well, actually, um, I was talking to a friend about the situation with the farmers and the and with COVID and the threat, and I asked him um, if you know if he had any friends that could could help shed some light on it. And I had I forgot to tell you, but um, he actually knows you, Jacob Livingston. Oh yeah. So yeah. So he mentioned your name, saw you on Instagram, shot you a message. But I mean, yes, that. Um, but also the fact that um, that this again. A lot of people look at District 29 and think that they look at El Paso, um, but there are four other counties. And I think I heard it a lot when I came out to Sierra Blanca a couple months ago, and um, they had never even heard from the state senator or certain people. And I think that that's a huge disservice to the people in this district when you're not representing the entire district and you're only representing one small corner of it. Fair game. Johnny, Danny, wrap up thoughts. Go ahead, Johnny. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for taking our questions, giving us true, honest answers. Probably can ask. Absolutely. Appreciate having you here. Yeah, no, thank you very much and good luck. Um, I, I can't say I envy what you, what you have in front of you because I think it's going to be a, a tough road, but um, I'm glad you're, you're, you're going out and trying to do it. So good luck. Thank you. And thank y'all so much for having me out here. Absolutely. You're always welcome at the farm anytime. Okay.